My name is Matt Sparazza. <laughs> I'm Father Sam Kachuba. Cheers, Matt. Cheers. <laughs> Round two. You drink your whiskey. I will drink my chamomile tea. I, I feel like it's it's a good thing to have for the for the conversation we're about to have. You know. Like, yeah. You, we we took we took we both had the same idea. We just took two different routes. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. I mean. I, I feel like the the stiff drink for mm-hmm. many of these things coming out of Rome these days is usually a helpful, just yeah. just a helpful yeah. coping mechanism. Oh sure. So let's. I just knew that. I just knew I needed something to calm me down. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about because we're not quite doing a hot take. We've we've had a couple of days now to to think yeah. about this. And we let to, it. Yeah, we let it seep in, which I think is good. So we're talking about the Declaration Fiducia Supplicans from the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, uh, issued by Victor Manuel Cardinal Fernandez, the Prefect of the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, and some of the headlines that it has generated globally. Uh, and nationally and in secular press and in Catholic press and then some of the concerns that it has raised. I have had, uh, I don't know about you, I've had a lot of conversations with people, um, laity and yeah. priests alike, who have raised some serious concerns about this document and uh, what it means. And then I think there's a lot of concern too about like the the misinterpretation of it by, especially in the secular media, and some of the ways that the I think our global press is not fully able to nuance theologically uh, or or embrace fully what some of this stuff means, and so the the perspective that they're giving is somewhat false. Yeah, um, I'm sure you've had more conversations about it than I have. Um, but the thing that the reason that I wanted to talk about it is because I have had faithful Catholics come up to me and say, hey, did you hear the Pope said said we could bless gay marriages? Um, and like, these are not, I, like, I, I emphasize the word faithful. You know what I mean? This is not someone who was rooting for that. Right. You know? Um, and, and you're right. It's in part, it's because of the secular media, you know? But regardless, it is it is a confusing topic, like across the board. Yeah, um, what we're even for those who are paying attention. is yeah, my point. What we're dealing with is a a world in which there's sort of an expectation that we've all got to kind of get on board with this stuff, and the mm-hmm. the church, uh, which does not recognize such a reality as same sex marriage, um, the church which holds to a definition of marriage which is that it is between a man and a woman, and it is the exclusive union of a man and a woman. Um, Mm -hmm. Many times... Open to life. Open to life, all these things, right? Many times the church will look like it's behind the times on on these issues. And so something like this that comes out can seem like it's the church getting in step with the prevailing culture, but that's actually right. not at all what's happening in this in this declaration. And I think that's an important thing to point out. Like, right from the very beginning, uh, this, this declaration uh, explains nothing is changing about the teaching of the Catholic Church in regards to the dignity and the sanctity of marriage. And can I just dig in for a second, right? Yeah. For those of whom, for those of our listeners who might not know why, why is it important 
that the definition of marriage, right, that the definition of what the church teaches doesn't change. Well, because the definition of marriage, first of all, is something that isn't the church's to define. It is God's, and it is so it's part of divine revelation. And the church cannot change divine revelation. It's part of the divine plan for creation. Marriage is a natural institution. Uh, male and female are created for one another, and we see that on a, as a biological reality. Uh, we see that in the order of nature, and we see that not simply as a social construct, though it has a social element to it, right? Like marriage is good for society. Wherever you have good marriages, wherever you have healthy marriages, wherever the family is intact, the society flourishes. This is right, this is thrives. demonstrable and sociological data, right? I'm not like I'm not making right. outrageous claims here. Uh, so, what fiducia supplicans talks about is the it's a reflection on the nature of blessings, what blessings are, and how blessings ought to be given. Um, now, what's being trumpeted uh, around, especially in, in secular media, is that somehow Pope Francis has said that uh, priests can bless gay couples uh, or same-sex marriages. But that's not right. at all what it says. In fact, it, it repeats right. several <laughs> times. No, that's you not true. You beat me to my question. I was going to say, does it say that? Yeah. Well, the other part of it is, is the idea that Pope Francis says it. No, this is a document right. of the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith. Right. Francis signed it, meaning he approved it, but it's not right. a, a document written in the name, like by Francis. So is it a part of his magisterium? Well, this is the other thing that is a whole other issue, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but the idea of, of the magisterium of one pope versus another pope, that's, that's not a – that's a very ah. strange understanding of what magisterium means. When we talk about magisterium, magisterium is the deposit of the faith and those who are charged with teaching it, authentically handing right. it's, on it's the fullness the ages. of – Yeah. The magisterium has the responsibility of authentically handing on the full deposit of the faith, of divine revelation and the sacred tradition of the church. Now, there are things that the magisterium cannot change. There are ways that the that the magisterium can authentically apply divine revelation or the teachings of, of the church to particular pastoral circumstances. But there's this new sort of phraseology that's come up, which is to talk about the magisterium of Francis as though it's something separate from the magisterium or from papal magisterium as a whole. Right? I see. And this is this is an important this is actually ecclesiology. So far from worrying about the blessings here, what I'm I'm actually way more concerned about is the ecclesiology that this document is presenting. And I have right, some it's serious a the, Yeah, I have some serious theological questions here. But like let let's just talk about the the idea right. of blessings first. Right. Well, I think we'll that's an important one, right? Yeah. So first, it's talking about blessings and how blessings can be can be given, um, and it's talking about the the nature. And lots of people have written about this, so we're going to link to some articles in the show notes. You can go and read those. Um, there's some really good people who have analyzed this well and who have, I think, a very very good take on a lot of this stuff in terms of what the what blessings mean and everything else. Um, but first of all, like it says, relatively not controversial things, like people want God's yeah. blessing. Yeah, I th I agree with you. Wow, I some some <laughs> of it is that I so I, when I read it right, and I'm taking notes. At one point, I wrote down, um, I wrote down, I agree with the beauty of a blessing, but can't understand how they don't recognize how this is pastorally inappropriate. Yeah. Um, hmm. And 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 that might sound. Like, I mean, I suppose it could be a strong or hot take. I don't mean it in that way. 
but rather, you know, the name, the, the, the first part here on the pastoral meaning of blessings, right? And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you know, it seems unlikely that this doesn't get misconstrued. And as a matter of fact, we have seen that it already has been. I, I agree. Right? Well, one day in the front cover of New York Times, right? I mean, I, I think it was the front cover, right? Is Father James Martin giving a blessing to two men who are supposedly married, right? Right. But the thing is, it's clearly not in the spirit of repentance and aid to live a chaste and pure life. In the picture, they're holding hands. Yeah. And it's it's also not in the sense of like uh, private, not public, this is this right. is very much something that is is being um, being placed as a yeah this is this is how it's going to be uh, and, and, and so the the point of what I'm trying to say is I actually really I, re I appreciated the elaboration on the beauty of a blessing and the fact that it brings about actual grace you know I like I actually really liked that um, that explanation. I just didn't see how it fits, you know, like it felt like they're trying to squeeze something in here. Yeah, there's the the whole thing with that particular story that you're referring to with the New York Times. I mean, it, it just suggests that the, the caption talks about Vatican sanctioned uh, as though this is officially right. approved. And the document is at pains. So read the document too. We're going to link to the document in the show notes. Like read the yeah. actual document. Don't just read the secular reports and don't just read, frankly, don't just read the Catholic news organizations that are reporting on it. Read, right. the, read the document, go to the text itself. Right. And this is a thing that actually, I think if, if we did a better job of this, if, if we had learned to do this a long time ago, read the actual documents, we wouldn't have some of the questions that we have. Like for, for the longest time, you'd hear people talking about right. the spirit of Vatican II. So in the spirit of Vatican II, we have right. to do all these things. Read the documents of Vatican II and you're not going to find anything about the spirit of Vatican II in there. The things that are most often justified as the spirit of Vatican II, they're not there. So read this document. And you're going, you're going to see that it says very not controversial things about the fact that people come seeking blessings because they're in need of God's grace. Okay, right. that's, that's fine. Where there could be some controversy, and it's not controversy so much as like maybe some good, healthy theological debate is making the distinction between uh, liturgical blessings and non-liturgical blessings. So there's the blessing that I give as a priest in the context of the celebration of the Mass. At the end right. of the Mass, I give everybody a blessing. Guess what? When I give that blessing, there are all kinds of people in the church. And some of those people are even sinners. Right? <laughs> I mean, all of those people, sorry, sorry, all of those people are sinners. And the blessing itself is being given by a sinner. So it's in the context of a liturgy, there's a blessing that's given. It's not to bless the sin that all of us commit. Right. It's actually to ask that God would bless us with his grace so that we could not sin, so that we could sin less, right? So if we understand that, like the, the nature of a blessing as something that is given to us by God, all right, that's good. In the context of the liturgy, the liturgy is, is a privileged place wherein the faithful encounter the living God. In the liturgical expression of the church, the liturgical life of the church, we encounter God himself. And if we're able to encounter God through the liturgy, then his blessings come to us also through the liturgy. But then there's the non-liturgical blessing that this document talks about, which is, it's an interesting phrase, uh, 
Larry Chap, who someday I want Larry Chap to be a friend of the show. Uh, I, oh, he I, will be. Yeah, I can't wait. Like, I really, really want him to be a friend of this show. Uh, but Larry Chap has a has a. That's a whole new category. Yeah, <laughs> he's got a great thing on Catholic World Report. We'll put a link to this also, where he he talks about the fact that you no know, blessings. It's hard to say that they're not liturgical, even when given outside of the context of liturgy. Why? Because why is it that somebody comes to a priest and asks for a blessing? Right. Well, because you've got the capacity to say the mass, right? Right. You've got. It's saying that there's there's something about who I am as a priest that is connected to. Yeah, and it's connected to the church's power to give blessing. Right. Like it's not my personal blessing. Like you can bless your son, and it's your personal blessing as his natural father to give him a blessing. It is distinct from the kind of blessing that I can give him as a priest. Right. You know, I can give him a blessing, but every blessing that I give is actually the church's blessing. Right? It's like, it's, I, the only reason I can bless is because I have the faculty to celebrate Mass and to bless from the church. Right? So, we have to see blessings actually then in, in the whole context of ecclesiology. And this right. is an important thing. So, maybe that distinction between a liturgical blessing and non-liturgical blessing isn't the most precise language. Okay. And that's important, okay? But then as as the as as it goes on. So we, we could like quibble with that, but that's more of a let let's figure right, out that language. That's Yeah, we're splitting hairs. Sort of. I mean, that's not the thing that I think is the biggest issue, but it is something that I think Larry Chap is correct when he points it out and says this is this right. is problematic. To me that though relates to the overall picture of ecclesiology the theology right, of right. the church that's being presented here. And that's where I actually have more problems. Not so much with what blessings are or who can receive a blessing, because the fact of the matter is that sin, sinful people receive blessings all the time. Sinners go seeking I, out so, blessings all the time. And and I agree with that, obviously, right? As someone who often, well, I guess I don't know if I often seek out blessings, but I certainly try and participate in the sacraments. I know that this is a sacramental versus a sacrament, but right I understand that. Um, that I, I, I don't want to say that I had a problem with the document because that's, first of all, I don't know if that's necessarily even appropriate to say. Um, but I do think that something that was confusing, right, or or at least something that I found a little difficult to understand, um, it proposes that people come to blessings, or may, this is what I think. I think it's a little incomplete. Mm-hmm. It proposes that people come to blessings in search for God. And it says that's the only reason why people go to blessings, to, to receive blessings rather. And I, I, quite frankly, I just don't think that's the case. Um, I think that's why people should go to receive blessings. Um, but, but if I were to make an analogy, right, it would be when I was younger, and I did something wrong. I would seek out my parents with a guilty conscience, right? And then hope that what hope they would tell me that what I did was okay. And I think, unfortunately, mm. that is going to happen with this particular case, yeah. right? It's going to be an attempt to seek out permission 
as you know as given through a blessing right, which right. is not actually permission right and so it is a that is why i say it's a cause mm. for confusion and it's not even because the document in and of itself is confusing yeah. the document is super clear we're not changing anything about marriage nothing yeah, yeah that's, that's an interesting point matt because the idea of, of coming with a guilty conscience and, and wanting to be told that everything's okay um it's that's an interesting read that that wasn't my that wasn't my read on but it's that's a really interesting take like that people are looking for for approval my experience with with blessings is usually that people have some reason that they want god's help there's something going on in their life where they, where they want god's help well no but this to is it's, clear but you're you're i, I think like, you're you know onto I mean? something that that's really interesting um so generally why, why do people stop me after mass for a special blessing you know, distinct from the blessing that I just gave after after mass, it's their birthday, and they would like a special birthday <laughs> blessing. Oh, no, wait, is that for, is that the completely most real? Reason? Yeah, probably the most that common is so is, is so it's it's my birthday. Could I have a birthday <laughs> blessing? Or I have to travel. Could you please give me a right. blessing because I'm sure. I'm on the road? Some people will ask for a blessing because they have like surgery or a test or a doctor's appointment or something. And a lot of times with right. with those folks, I'll ask them if they want the anointing of the sick. Like you're going in for surgery, would you like to be anointed? And some people right. will, you will want say, a sacrament opposed to the sacrament." Exactly. And some people will say, "No, right. I don't want the sacrament. I just want a blessing." And I'm like, "Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't have time for that." Yeah. Well, like <laughs> I'll I'll pray with you for for good health and for the guidance of your doctors, and I'll give you a blessing that right. God would would restore you to full health. And no, I don't have any right. issue with that. Um, right. Why not? One of the really moving ones that I, I've had is a, a couple that I know that is uh, civilly married, and awaiting a declaration of nullity for one of their marriages. The other one already has a declaration of nullity. And they've had this this experience of, of wanting to return to the life of the church. Mm. And so they don't receive communion. They wow. they don't go to the sacraments. They come to Mass with great fidelity. Uh, but the, the request that they'll make to me sometimes after Mass is, Father, can we have a blessing for strength to persevere and to right. keep going? And right. I, I don't have a problem praying with them and asking God to bless them because they're they're striving yeah. to do the right thing and they want to persevere so that they can right. so that they can regularize their situation so that they can right. uh, embrace the sacrament of matrimony. They've experienced some kind of conversion that's drawing them back to the Lord. Right. And so while objectively their situation is sinful and they know that and understand it, that doesn't mean that they don't desire God's grace. Right, and so this is a couple that to pray with them and to offer them a blessing is it's a privilege, right? I'm happy to right. I'm happy to, to help the them. Lord for mercy, here. right? But they're also not asking me to approve of what their situation is right. and tell them that there's nothing wrong with it. They yeah. actually know full well, and so this is where I think your suggestion of people like with a guilty conscience looking for approval that was really interesting to me and i think partly because my experience if i'm if i'm going to be approached by anybody for something that's maybe a little out of the ordinary this would be it this this is like the the example that i can think of but here's the deal though the difference between those two situations is that one has the potential right to be remedied right exactly whereas the other like and that's why it's confusing and to be clear like i'm I, like I hope it's not coming off as if I'm somehow rooting against, right? The desire to pray for the for mercy for these people, you know. It's I almost just I want to say like, don't be so naive, you know. 
Yeah. And and I'm not saying that to anyone in particular, right? But like it's I like I read it and I was I kind of just was like, I mean, come on, you know, like if you were really asking for that strength, you know, you wouldn't hold hands and you know what I mean? And like treat it like essentially a civil union. You know what I mean? Like that isn't how one would approach that. Right. Not really. Certainly it would seem to me that that would be a red flag <laughs> to the priest, you know, that if two people came to, to you in an irregular marriage, you know, that could not potentially, like, there's no chance it could be remedied to the church's teaching. Zero. You know? Yeah. And come showing signs of affection towards one another as if the blessing is a moment of joy for the continuation, right? Seemingly, you know? Right. Well, and, and the other big difference is that in, in the example that I'm talking about, they are not asking for the blessing as a, as a couple per se. They're asking right. for the blessing as, as human beings in need of, of God's help. Right. And that is, to me, an important distinction. Now, I, I, think, I think I'm opening myself up for some criticism from, from people who, who know very well what this is about and who, who understand this uh, in, in a way. And so I think, I think there's, there's fair room to criticize even that point. Um, right. How much are we talking about blessing a relationship versus blessing individuals? Um, I think there's been a lot of people trying in this to say the document doesn't say anything so much about blessing the relationship so much as blessing humans, blessing persons. I'm comfortable with the idea of blessing persons, even persons Definitely. who are struggling or who are living a life that is contrary to the values of the gospel, um, that, contrary but, to the but teaching that's of the church. Thing that we've said, like that, you know, since it came out, we have spoken prior to this particular recording, right? Yeah. And at one point, you said something that I thought was really a great point, which is like, at, no one was ever saying, don't bless gay people. You know what I mean? Like, that wasn't a yeah. rule of the church. <laughs> and, and if and, it was, nobody ever told me that, right, like, somehow you know? there, there was a class of persons that was unworthy of receiving a blessing. Right. At no point. But there are certain things that I can't bless. Right? Like... I can't give a, a blessing to a guy who has told me, I, I intend to use this house for human trafficking. Would you please right. bless my, my human trafficking establishment? No, I, I can't. I'm not doing that. I, I can't do that. Would you come human and bless my, my, my establishment? Yeah. <laughs> Would you come bless my porn shop? No, no, I'm not. Right. I'm not no. doing that. I, I just can't. I just can't do it. But like I, I had a, a Guy open. And we're proud of you for it. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Wow. Really appreciate that. I had a guy I should have said not with that attitude. <laughs> I had a guy who's opening a store and he said, Would you please come and bless my store? And it was a perfectly normal kind of a store. Nothing weird. Right. And I said, Sure, right. I'll come bless your store because yeah. he wanted God's blessing on his business undertaking. Like th th there are things that it's it's perfectly okay to bless. And in fact, the church provides for us blessings that we can use. Or there's there's that possibility of spontaneous blessing. There's a girl who frequently after mass will ask me for a blessing or her mother is the one who's really kind of pushing her for the blessing because she's got mm -hmm. a swim meet and she wants to compete well. And I'm very right. happy to right. give her a blessing to compete well. Right. I don't have any issue with, with, with that kind of stuff. Nor do I expect that the people who are asking for the blessing are perfect or always living in full accord with what the church teaches um, mm -hmm. or, or that they're fully measuring up because I know that as the one giving the blessing, I don't always measure up. 
I don't yeah. always meet the the criteria for for being perfect. <laughs> Right. In fact, I'm pretty sure I've never and, met the criteria for being perfect. And I'm yeah, yeah. I was I was thinking when you said that. Yeah. Otherwise, I would have reacted. I, no, I appreciate that. But like, I so I understand all of this, right? That there's there are certain things like I, I okay. So it's, simply put, it's that it's proximity to sin that plays the uh, the primary role in whether or not you are capable of blessing a certain thing, right? A thing being a store, but a thing being a relationship, right? As opposed to the people. We're not talking about the people, right? We're talking about the situation. We're, we're talking about the location. We're talking about the object. Yeah. Well, and, and then in that same line of thinking, right? That proximity to sin or, or just the, the tendency towards something, right? A, a relationship... Uh, like if if a couple comes to me as as a couple asking for a blessing on their relationship, well, what is this relationship tending toward? Is this something that can tend towards virtue? Can tend towards right. uh, fully living out the truth of what the gospel says? So, for example, if if an engaged couple comes to me and asks for a blessing, there's a ritual for blessing an engaged couple, because even if that couple is struggling with right. chastity before marriage, whatever it might be, their relationship is tending in that direction of asking right. for the Lord's of, grace of the in covenant. the sacrament. Exactly. So it's tending right. in that direction. So it's it's on a natural level and also even on a supernatural level moving in that direction. Whereas mm. a, a couple that's living in an objectively sinful situation, whether heterosexual or homosexual, um, if they're living in a situation that is that is not in accord with what the church teaches, what the moral law of the church teaches, which, by the way, the Declaration Fiducia Supplicans issued by the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith does not change anything about the church's moral teaching, and it is very clear to say that it doesn't change the church's moral right. teaching on this. So that's an important thing, right? Just to mm -hmm. just to remember that. <laughs> but if that's yeah. if if all that's true, then we the, should keep repeating it. They did. Yeah, there are certain there are certain things relationships that can't be blessed but the persons who are involved in that can still seek out god's grace and god's help but here's the other thing if somebody's going to come and seek god's grace and help there also needs to be some sense of i want to change i want my life to be more mm -hmm. conformed to the gospel and this is something that i don't think has gotten enough attention in fiducia supplicans um right i i can't find where it is exactly right now um but it is it is here that those blessings, any blessing that that we give, um, should be because, let's see, one who asks for a blessing shows himself to be in need of God's saving presence in his life, and one who asks for a, a blessing from the church recognizes that the church is a sacrament of salvation of the salvation that God offers. Um, but then the, the idea that the blessing is something that is meant to help the person to more fully conform their lives to the gospel. Right. I'm on board with that idea. Of course. Like if I'm asking for God's blessing, then I'm, I'm asking God to conform me more perfectly to himself. But there are going to be some times when maybe I'm asking for a blessing in a performative way. Like I want the blessing because it looks good if the priest showed up to bless this. It makes it look legit. Right. So if I have the if I have a priest come to my event and say a prayer, that makes it look like a 
this one's this is approved. This is everything's okay. This is a Catholic event. Yeah, every, everything's on the up and up. Um, right. Or it might even like assuage my conscience. Hey, I know I'm I'm doing the wrong thing, but look, at least I had a at least I asked for a blessing for this. Right. So like it's probably okay. Like that that should pretty much cover me. Right. Like Father, can you give me a quick blessing and then I'll, I'm all set. I don't have to worry right. about this. Like. You get that as that's, jokes that's from that people. That's that permission seeking that I. Yeah, exactly. But like overall, I don't. I don't really have an issue with the blessing stuff that's included here. No. You know, and I think I think we should be careful about getting too caught up in or like too much hand wringing over what kinds of blessings it's it, this is doing. But to to your point about James Martin S. J. Uh, his his recent. Uh, almost instantaneous publicity of blessing a right. a gay couple, a same-sex couple, um, while describing them as married, which the church doesn't recognize such a thing as right. same-sex marriage, so it's wrong for us to use that kind of language, um, right. and him describing it also as like a real joy to be able to bless their, to bless them as a couple, right? I don't want to say to bless a marriage because that would distort actually what he, what he wrote about it, but there's a... There's a problem there. What this right. declaration says is that we should avoid any publicity. We should avoid there being any kind of um, appearance that this this elevates anything to the level of marriage, right. um, or that it in any way replaces the sacrament of marriage or something like that. And I, right. I'm sorry, a lot of this feels kind of like what. I was looking at that picture just saying this this feels like just I dare you to tell me I'm wrong. This feels a lot like I'm pushing an agenda, not like there's a genuine request for for blessing. Now, I don't want to presume people's motives, right? And so I'm open to the idea that I'm I'm wrong about that, but right. I don't think I am. Right. That's if why I'm, I said that. If before. I'm real honest, I'm, I don't think I'm, I'm wrong I'm about this. I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think I am. I don't think you are either. Um, right. There's there's a there's something about this that makes me go. I I just I just don't know. Uh, something right. doesn't smell right there, and and something doesn't seem to actually be obedient to what this declaration is talking about. And and that's that's I've said it before on the show. And it, it was something that I really came to realize because of our interview with Chris Altieri, right? Mm -hmm. Being charitable does not demand that you be naive. Yeah. It just doesn't, you know? And and that's why when I'm reading this, two points, right? But I mentioned before that I wrote down, you know, I think that this all of all of the talk about blessings in this document is beautiful. Like I it it increased my uh appreciation for what a blessing actually does yeah you know like i had not thought about it in w along with the term of actual grace you know so it actually changed the way i thought about it and i thought to myself that's fantastic that's great right but at the same time i look at the situation and i say i just don't at, at like so i would pick a particular line it says in, in the presentation, the introduction, right? Actually, it's prior to the introduction. It says, it is precisely in this context that one can understand the possibility of blessing couples in irregular situations and same-sex couples without officially validating their status or changing in any way the church's perennial teaching on marriage. And what I wrote down was, but does it do that unofficially? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, does it give, does it give the presentation of like, well, you know, we don't we don't approve of this wink wink right and and that's that's where there's there's a definite 
challenge and I think a definite problem. And right. so we're going to have to see what happens. Yeah. One, right. of, one of the things that our, our friends over at the pillar, and uh, I really want them to be our friends too. I want, I want yeah, JD Flynn and Ed Condon. They want to be friends at the pillar. Yeah. I want <laughs> I, like Larry Chap, JD Flynn, Ed Condon. I, I want to be their friend. I, I really do. I like those guys. Okay. I like the stuff that they, okay. that they put out there. Much like we are friends with Dr. Scott Hahn. Yeah. Close personal friends. Yes. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Well, almost and, family members, and even. Here, hey, let's just say, <laughs> friend of the show, Chris Altieri, also had a great yeah. piece. We're going to link to his article as well in the, yeah. in the show notes here. Uh, but there's there, there's a lot of stuff that's that's been one of the things that uh, JD Flynn talks about is the idea that there's going to be some winking at the like, well, the spirit of fiducia supplicans. So even though the text doesn't say that you can do this, there's going to be like a lot of people saying, well, it's basically allowed, even though it's not, they're just going to say it's in the spirit of, and that's a, that's a real danger. Here's, here's a a little thing for our priest listeners that I think that they might appreciate as a joke, as something funny that I found (laughs) in this document. If you're looking for something lighthearted in this moment, um, look to paragraph 35 of Fiducia Supplicans, where it says, Therefore, the pastoral sensibility of ordained ministers should also be formed to perform blessings spontaneously that are not found in the Book of Blessings. Now, do you know, Matt, why that's hilarious to read? No. Because if you have ever talked to an ordained minister, the Book of Blessings is one of the most widely despised and disused books that has ever been produced by the church because the Book of Blessings is useless. If there's any sentiment (laughs) that is shared almost universally by priests, it's that the Book of Blessings is dumb because you know what the Book of Blessings forgets to do? Bless things. In the entire Book of Blessings, there's like hardly any places where it says the priest now blesses the thing. There's like not an indication of where the priest is supposed to make the sign of the cross. It is the most useless liturgical book ever created. (laughs) Nobody likes it. So most of us, we only use it if we absolutely have to, and then we have to figure out where to put a blessing in, or we go and we find some other sort of a blessing ritual somewhere, and we try to use that instead, because the Book of Blessings is a useless book the way that it is written right now. So this Mm -hmm. idea that we should be spontaneously doing blessings that are not found in the Book of Blessings, guess what? That's what we've been doing for decades. (laughs) decades. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That's what all priests have been doing because the Book of Blessings is so unusable. So if you ever want to know, like, are these guys in Rome really in touch with the pastoral reality, the lived reality of priests on the ground? No, they're not. They have no idea what's going right. on in our lives. And the, and I don't think they really care. That's a separate issue. That's a whole other tangent I could go on. <laughs> that, is, that is different episode, yeah. man. <laughs> well, let, let, let's change gears for a second. Let's change gears for a second to the the yes, other please. theology here that's coming out. And this is where Ed Condon at the Pillar, uh, I think, nailed it in in talking about the the very unique way that Fiducia Supplicans uh, is saying something about papal power. Um, I just mm-hmm. did a quick count, and so my, my number might be off, but it looks like 21 or 22 of the 31 footnotes of Fiducia mm-hmm. Supplicans are citing Pope Francis. Wow. The document is at pains to talk about the pastoral vision of Pope Francis and yes, to cite yes. Pope Francis teaches us, Pope Francis teaches us. Yeah, I did take note of the fact that they mention his name a lot. It, yeah, in other words, there, there are more citations of Pope Francis and the things that he has written or taught than there are of any other ecclesial document or of any mm. scripture 
there's more citations of Pope Francis in his in his personal teaching than there is of anybody else. And this is a thing that's really weird because the magisterium and the, the idea of like papal magisterium, papal magisterium, the, the purpose of, of the office of Peter, mm-hmm. the reason that the Petrine office exists is to guard the deposit of faith and to faithfully hand on that deposit of faith. This is why the magisterium exists. And so, the Pope, whoever he may be, stands in that same line. And so, the Pope disappears into the office. Like, the, the personality right. of the Pope is meant to disappear in, into the office. Right. Not so much the personality becomes the office. I mean, that's very Catholic, right? It's very Catholic. The priest, the priest wears a vestment, so he would disappear into the office. That's exactly it. That's exactly yeah. right. Now, but if, if we look at past papal documents from Benedict XVI, John Paul II, uh, Paul VI, John Twenty-Third, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, what you're going to mm-hmm. find is that if, they, if they're talking about something that a previous pope has said, they'll say, as my predecessor, or depending on the age of the document, as our predecessor said, and they'll cite right. the thing that was said. Very rarely will they cite themselves, and if they do, it's only to reiterate a certain point, mm-hmm. whereas there's a a sort of constant reference to the magisterium of Pope Francis as distinct right. from the magisterium the, as a whole or the papal magisterium as sort of like a unique subset within the right. idea of the magisterium. And this is something that it's not just like in this document where Cardinal Fernandez is describing it as the magisterium of, of Francis, or although I don't think he uses those words exactly, but it's the same the same idea. This is something that, from the perspective of ecclesiology and and authority, is actually kind of concerning, and so I'm I'm actually confused on this note. What does this mean that we're citing the authority of Francis and his papal authority, uh, distinct from everything else? And and why is it that Francis is asserting something that the Church has never done? Right, like if in this case I will I will go along with the secular headline. Francis permits, Francis allows this to happen, even though ah. it's that I cast you for the doctrine of the faith if we're being very precise. Right. Right. So I, I want to acknowledge the precision that's necessary, but at the same time, because it's constantly referring to things that Francis has written or said, um, mm-hmm. why is it that his teaching is being used as the, as the reason? And they're talking about it as an authentic development of doctrine, while at the same time saying this changes nothing about doctrine. So this is a it's it, in this case like it's it's very weird and right. If anything, I would say. So here, if I were, yeah, please well, you finish now. If anything, I would say here what what we're seeing is is just sort of the exaggeration of we have to do everything that Francis says, and right. you, we have to accept it completely. And if you don't accept it completely, you are disloyal, and and that is totalitarian. That is that is a dictatorship. Yeah. That is not. That is not the church. That is not the Petrine office. That is something very, very different. And that's dangerous, I think. I, I mean, so so if I were to push back on it, on what you're saying here. Fight me. Uh, Go for I, it. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily because I disagree with you, because I, I don't really. Um, um, I would say look at something like Theology of the Body, right? JP2. Um I mean, surely he was self-referential in creating this ma- like massive 
right? Mm-hmm. And and received like as a magnificent body of work. Um, and so being self-referential isn't necessarily a bad thing, I guess. Although, in addition to being self-referential, to my understanding, theology of the body is also like tremendously influenced by St. John of the Cross. But you know what I mean? So it's not exclusively self-referential. Yeah. And and John Paul is, is very careful when you read Theology of the Body that he's, he's yeah. not talking about this as, I teach this. Ah, as opposed okay. to what everybody else has ever taught. Okay. okay. What he's saying well, that's is, why I asked. No, no. I wanted to know the difference. Yeah. Theology of the body, he's articulating what the church has held as the truth. Mm, he's articulating okay. now maybe in a new way, in a way that hasn't been expressed quite like this before. So he's communicating a truth that the church has held in in a way so that the, the modern world can understand. So theology of the body is really right. profound because he doesn't change anything about what the church has taught about the human person, about sexual morality, about the purpose and the nature of, of marriage, of sex, etc. He's, But he is teaching it in a way that hasn't been systematically explained right. by the church in that way before. So he's, right. he's actually bringing together all of these different pieces of what the church has taught and, and articulating it. What this idea of well now we can bless couples in irregular situations that's a change of what the church has done on a disciplinary level but also in a way on a doctrinal level and so that's where if there is confusion that's brought about by this we've we've got a problem the other thing is the idea that this is the the magisterium of francis distinct from like the office of Peter is also kind of concerning. This is actually why Pope Benedict XVI, when he wrote the Jesus of Nazareth books, did not publish mm-hmm. them as Benedict XVI, but very deliberately published them as the theological reflections of Joseph Ratzinger. Joseph Ratzinger, right. These, this is the fruit of his entire life of doing theology. And so he wanted to publish these, these theological reflections. It just so happened that he also had to be Pope at the same time. But he didn't right. want this to be considered as, as part of papal magisterium. Like right. the Pope said it, therefore this is true. No, he said, this is, this, these are the reflections of a theologian. And I want them to right. be understood as such. So he made the very deliberate distinction, right? So right. if if Pope Francis was That's saying... That's an illuminating example. Yeah, if Pope Francis was saying, look, as as Jorge Bergoglio, uh, I, I want to contribute this idea. Okay, fine. Right, free to do so. But what he's doing is there's there's sort of the raw exercise of power. And this is a thing that's become sort of the trend over the course of the Francis pontificate is that by the raw exercise of power, I'm going to do what I want to do. As opposed to, uh, I'm going to teach and allow that teaching to to be received. Francis has a tendency to legislate. Now, that's another thing that's- I do Im- think that, I, I think that's really apparent in this document, actually. Well, but this is- The concept of legislation. But that's the thing. This document legislates nothing. Because this is not well, a legal so, document. So, well, what I mean, though, okay, you're right. Legislate's the wrong word. I guess what I meant was, so for example, um, paragraph 37. Um, at one point it says, 
Decisions that may be part of pastoral prudence in certain circumstances should not necessarily become a norm. That is to say, it is not appropriate for a diocese, a bishop's conference, or any ecclesial structure to constantly and officially establish procedures and rituals for all kinds of matters. Um, and I, I kind of understood that as like, so are you saying they're not allowed to get involved? <laughs> like, well, and and this is this is definitely, I think, an issue in in the present life of the church, which is that subsidiarity, the idea that things that can be handled on a local level ought to be handled on a local level. Yeah, a lot of times that's not happening, and and that's a difficulty. Um, there there's a sense sometimes that we have to just kind of wait for Rome to say something, and then we have to obey it, and. That is a that is an exaggeration of of papal authority and power, and that's not that's not good for the life of the church. Like real real simple, it's not good for the life. Of, so it's a way of governance that I have a problem with. Right. If I'm being real honest, um, it's a way of governance that isn't isn't really good for the church. Um, and and, it, and it's worth noting that it, you're totally in your right to have an issue there. Yeah, and it, but it's also it's a way of governance that doesn't take into a, into account the fact that somebody who's closer to the people might actually know something about it. Right? Like it, it it's very possible that I might know some of the things that are happening in the life of my parish in a way that the bishop doesn't know. Sure. And so the bishop might have an idea about that, but he can call me and ask me, is this correct? But if he starts making decisions about my parish, and he doesn't do this, by the way, I want to make this really clear. <laughs> Bishop Frank does not do this at all. But like, if he wanted to just come in and make a decision about my about my parish, um, and I shouldn't even like say my parish, like I own it or something, like the parish where I am pastor. If he wanted right. to come in and, and tell me that I had to do things a certain way um, to take care of this particular issue or something like that, I would be... First of all, I, have to, I, I would want to be obedient, but I would also want to be able to say to him, you know, that's not exactly, that's not exactly what the situation <laughs> is. And, and I know the situation right. because I see it every day because I live here, because I work here. Right. I work with, with this group of people every day. Right. And this is something that's kind of more and more the trend of like these sort of blanket statements about things that don't right. seem to really have much reality. So as an example, I think I mentioned this to you the other day. I've been a priest 15 years, Matt, and in those 15 years, I've never been approached by a couple in an irregular situation, homosexual or heterosexual, that is looking for me to bless their relationship and approve of it. Right. That's never happened to me. I've been a priest 15 years in the Northeast. So not exactly like a, a place that's known for uh, like rigid right. religious fundamentalism, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? Right. And and yeah. this has it has never occurred that somebody has come asking for this, right? And so I, I have a sincere question, which is to say simply, how much of a pastoral issue is this really? Which also then begs the question: is this is this given as a like, hey, if in, in a situation where something like this were to happen, here's how to apply it? Or is this right. is, is this a declaration that's being made more as a way of like instruction? Like you, you have to start doing this or start offering this as like a, mm -hmm. as a service of, of your parish. And I'm very right. curious about that. And, and, you know, your point of how much of a pastoral issue is this, right? You're, you're a priest for 15 years. You've never once encountered it. Right. How much? How much of an issue is this? Not only is it non-existent for you, right? 
the opposite side of the issue is a massive problem for an entire country in the church, like the entire German church. Right. Yeah. And you know what I mean? So, I mean, and that's where I might be looking too locally and not nearly enough in the universal sense. So you're right. But my point is that, my point is that, you know, you're saying it, it's never been an issue for you. This addresses this. This is addressing something that has never happened to you, right? And like, literally, Watch, now it starts have, happening every Sunday or something. I got to deal right, with this. Right, but 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 you have an entire, I mean, at broad strokes, right? But it seems like a pretty accurate broad stroke. An entire country that is essentially on the verge of schism, right? Because they are promoting and have been promoting blessing the union. Yeah. Um and and the the thing that is then even more confusing to me. I'm just being honest with you, right? Is the fact that we know Pope Francis has written a letter to them saying like you you shouldn't do that. Yeah. Well, and and th- this is where and I shouldn't. I mean, can't. <laughs> can't. Don't stop. Impossible. Yeah. You know? This is where we and we so start to that's find That's why I'm like what do I do here? Yeah. What do I do here? We are facing right now some some real significant inconsistency in the way that things are in the way that the church is governed. Um, so, if I'm getting cynical, all right, do you mind if I if I take a slightly cynical path for a second here? You can, all right, you can, but you, I, just so you know, since you brought up cynicism, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to bring up how do we end this with hope. So, I'm I'm totally with you because I also want to end with hope. But, okay. but if if we're if we're being a little bit cynical, but if we're not, <laughs> yeah, no, like let's let's just be a little bit cynical here. Um, so a couple of things come to mind. Number one, uh, on Saturday, this this last Saturday. So by the time this comes out, I'm not sure exactly what what is, but in, in any case, la- this this last week, the Vatican financial trial ended, exposing significant corruption within the Vatican and within the financial mechanisms of the Vatican, including the conviction of Cardinal Angelo Becciu. Who is then sentenced to a, a jail term? Now he wants to yeah, appeal what, six he, years? Uh, five and a half something. Like that. He wants to appeal his conviction, which is his right. You know, he in justice he, he's allowed to to appeal his conviction. But a, a significant amount of corruption was uncovered, um, and and put on trial. And now, just days after this major thing, where the first cardinal to be convicted by a Vatican court since the Vatican became its own independent city state. So, in other words, the, the first time that a cardinal has been convicted by a Vatican court since the Vatican City began to exist as its own independent state. That's a huge deal. When did that happen? Uh, you would ask me a question like that where I have to have facts ready to hand. Come on, that's unfair. Uh, <laughs> this Here, this is all about polemics, not about, not about facts. February 11th, 1929. Okay. So, in the first time in nearly 100 years, yeah. a cardinal has been convicted by a Vatican court. That major historic event is on the, is, is on the front page for two days. And then suddenly, this declaration allowing these, these blessings, or supposedly allowing these blessings, uh, when mm. in fact it's more discussing what the blessings actually are and the nature of them and so providing right. some guidance for how they should be given. Anyway, suddenly that's the news story. Guess what we're not paying any attention to? Corruption in right, the Vatican. Yeah. This, this yeah. major event that, that happened. I'm sorry, a little bit of the cynical me is saying, 
that sounds like a PR move to get this off the headlines. Yeah. But then the yeah, other cynical me, it does smell very fishy. The other cynical me is going, all right, this is supposed to be a pastoral document to help us with pastoral care of the, of the people, right? This is meant to be pastoral, to help us to, to better shepherd our people, to meet people where they are, right? I don't mind if the church wants to do that, but here's the deal. Why in the world would any right-thinking, sane human being think that this is a good idea to drop this document the week before Christmas? We've got a lot of stuff going on. We're preparing for Christmas. Do you know the stuff that we have to do now? And now all of a sudden, we're going to get inundated. And this is a thing that pastors are actually dealing with. Questions from yeah. people about this that, guess what? We're trying to get ourselves and our parishes and our staffs and our parishioners ready for Christmas. Yeah. And this is the thing that you drop. Guess what? This could have waited. This could have waited without doing any harm to people. Yeah. And so what this tells me is that there is a lack of care for pastors, for priests. And this is a trend also that is backed up by many different things that have been said by the Pope, by many different actions that have been taken. It's very discouraging. Somebody said to me today, it must be really hard right now to be a priest. And it was a very sincere comment, and I, I was actually deeply grateful that this person said it. Because, man, it, it is. Not because priesthood I, is hard. Can I ask you a personal question? Go ahead. Is it harder to be a priest now? Or I know that you entered the seminary when the, the sex scandal started. Which At which point is it harder? Now. Now, I mean that, because and that should real—that's illustrative of. It, when I was when I was entering seminary, it was the the shock and the genuine scandal of the failure of leaders of the church to do the right thing. Um, it was the shock that people who should have been trusted to be holy had had sinned so gravely. It was a shock. I'm I'm not saying that it was easy at all. Um, what year was it? So that would have been 2001, 2002. Like spot, the right. spotlight I was, scandal I was really- so clearly like, too young. Yeah, like 10 days after I started seminary was 9-11. So like the whole, wow, the whole world I as I knew it changed, right? And then um, the spotlight series started in the Boston Globe in 2002. And oh so with, within a year, you have an earth shattering event that, that affects all of society, right? Yeah. And then you also have- um, this this massive change happening with uh, within the church of of a real scandal and a real pain. There, there are people who have been hurt. Uh, there are real yeah. human beings who have who have been hurt. That was hard to deal with. Definitely, but there was also a difference, which was the, the, there was a sense that we had good. There were good leaders who were trying to do what was right, and John Paul II and his love for priests was was trying to then shore up sagging priestly morale, right? Mm. Benedict XVI wanted to, to continue to clean that up and to encourage priests. In the Francis Pontificate, we priests have been described consistently as rigid, as little monsters, as wow, wait, backwardists. Yeah, this goes back, you know, now many years in, into the pontificate, but like there's been kind of a constant stream of criticism towards priests. In particular... As an American, yeah. it's quite clear that there's yeah. there's a, a consistent criticism of of American priests. It's hard, 
And and so that has become harder because the decisions don't seem to make sense. Like on the one hand, it would be like, how in the world can we can we do this? Um, back in 2002, 2003, like how did you allow these things to happen? And there was a movement to change it. There was a movement of reform. Let's change mm-hmm. how we handle these kinds of situations. Now what we have is these decisions that so often seem arbitrary and don't seem to be rooted in reality, right? So the, the restriction of the, of the Latin mass is an example of this. So the, the Latin right. mass gets, gets restricted with the accusation that it's become a source of dissent from or rejection of Vatican II. I've never experienced that. It seems, <laughs> honestly, it seems to me that Traditionis Custodes only made that more of a thing. Oh yeah, it, well, it 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 absolutely like it, it fueled the fire that was there. It created a problem where there really wasn't a problem. There, there might have been a few people, as uh, as Chris Altieri would say, that some people were mean on the internet. Uh, those people have continued to be mean on the internet. They, that hasn't changed anything. No, I mean honestly, my position would be that, like, I think that there were people who may have been set of a contests prior to Traditionis Custodes, you know, but it was almost like. It was almost like that happened, and then those people got to go see, look. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it, it created you know? it created a problem where there wasn't one, and yeah. and and this is where I, I feel like we've just had. No, some, I want you to use my words. Created a problem where there wasn't one. <laughs> I'm stick. I'm sticking to it. No, All right. see. <laughs> yeah. No, but this this is the discouraging thing is is that there seems to be such inconsistency in the application of justice, in the way that decisions are made. So there's there's no there's no rhyme or reason to it. So we can't even like feel steady, and that's where it gets gets yeah. really difficult. Now we want to talk about hope because I think hope is really important to to wrap. Well, this before with. we get there, I want to say one more thing. Oh, you don't want to get to hope um, yet. You don't want to be too no, hopeful. Not yet. No, I want to. I <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I wanted to say that um, I am personally very grateful for your priestly ministry. Hey, thanks, man. And your commitment to orthodoxy. Um, Is that because of the beard? Oh, not that kind of orthodoxy. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I meant the proximity to truth. Um, (laughs) uh, I'm I'm truth adjacent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. I don't know. It's worth it's worth saying those things. And I say that to you and and really I guess I say it for any priest you know that has that that same commitment. You know, and I think that's something that we lay people have to do more. If there's two things that we need to do as as lay members of the church, it is one, pray for our priests and two, thank them. You know, mm. when they do something good in the face of something that is difficult. Yeah. You know, it's easy for me, you know what I mean? Like I like I I I not to give names or even be too specific with an example. There's just it's just that you have more at stake than I do. You know <laughs> what I mean? No, seriously, you know what I, I guess a good example um What are they going to do? Fire me? Well, yeah, no, maybe. No, well, but well, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, maybe, you know. They can't kick me out of my home. Yeah, that's true. You know, um, so so anyway, I do appreciate. Thank you. you know, I appreciate your ministry it. and what you do. Thank you. Anyway, teach me to be hopeful. All right. So some things that I see as reasons for hope. That was the chamomile tea talking. No, it, it softened you up, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, reasons for hope. Let me take a sip of the scotch here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, seriously, reasons for hope. Um, one thing. Well, there's several things, but I'm going to start with this one. Yeah. Um, while I said that in my years as a priest, I've never been approached by uh, a same-sex couple, uh, or, or even a couple, a heterosexual couple in a in an irregular relationship, asking me to bless the relationship qua relationship. I have many, many times um, worked with, worked alongside, uh, accompanied people struggling with same-sex attraction and in their, in their search for God and in their desire to live a life uh, according to the gospel. And what I have found is that there are so many people out there, there is no one label that we can use that adequately describes the spiritual journey that people are on. And so I think if we can just be real careful with that, it's good. But then also to remember how many people are very sincerely seeking the Lord and very sincerely trying to walk with God. It is extremely moving to me um, to, to see that. It's also very powerful for me to hear from some of these folks the, the experience that they have of this kind of pastoral approach that we're seeing like in the church in Germany and everything like that. One man who I know who has struggled with this and has, has really been striving and still carries a, a very real cross. Yes. He said, if, if he, there's anything that he could say to the, the German church, the German bishops is you have no idea what pain you're inflicting on people. Yeah. And he says that as a, as a man who has lived the lifestyle and who has struggled and, and who has suffered as a result. And he said, I don't want anybody to deal with that. I suffer from it still. And he says, and I, and I don't want that. And it's, it's very powerful to hear him speak that way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are others who are saying, we're striving to live what the church teaches and we have found joy in it. Yes. Right? And like, I think about the Courage Apostolate a lot because mm-hmm. the Associate Director of Courage lives here. In my house, yeah. <laughs> so I, I know him pretty well. Uh, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna get him on as a guest one of these days to talk about this this yeah. care that is offered by Courage. We'll link to Courage also in the show notes because I think mm-hmm. their apostolic work is so incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Um, but what their what their members, the people who are 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 part of the Courage movement, part of Courage as an apostolic movement, um, what they what they receive, the care, the accompaniment, the friendship, uh, the mm-hmm. healing that they receive is so powerful. To simply say, oh, it's fine, don't worry about it, that, that kind of behavior doesn't do anything, it's not important, it doesn't matter, is actually to deny the suffering that these people mm-hmm. have actually experienced in their lives and their own desire for healing. And we don't do them any favors if we, if we do that. So there's great hope no. because I see these people who have in various ways struggled and come to understand the gift of God's grace and come to desire it more and more such that they're willing to leave behind sin in pursuit of virtue. And according to the standard of the world, that's not possible. You couldn't possibly leave behind sin and pursue virtue. But here I see people who are doing it. That gives me hope for myself. I don't struggle with the same sins, with the same with the same challenges or anything like that, you know. 
maybe just maybe I can rise above my own temptations and the things that, that afflict me. Maybe my own uh, tendency towards sin can be conquered. If they can do this, if, if these folks who are carrying, frankly, a, a much bigger cross than, than I carry can do it, then, then maybe I can too. So it's a sign of hope for me, right? And of course, you know, the hope also lies in the fact that their journey, right, and their carrying of the cross, the reason, one of the ways they receive the grace to do that is via the sacraments, right? It is because the church is the is the uh, organ of salvation. Yeah. Right? right? And so it's, sometimes when these issues come come up, it's it's tempting to, to despair in the church, right? As the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but here we see that the church really is a mother right to these people. Yeah. There's there's sort of a presumption sometimes that like the church just rejects by by saying something is wrong or something is sinful. There's sort of a presumption that that means the church rejects anyone. I'm like, man, walk in the door of my church, just come in. I can't reject you because right. I don't know anything about you. Yeah, yeah. Right? There might be some things that it it means, yeah, you know what, you shouldn't receive communion today. That that happens, yeah. But that's not because the church says that there is a class of persons that is inadmissible to the life of the church. Yeah. And and I think it's worth noting too that like, listen, if I'm shooting straight, there have been times where I have not received communion. You know, I've yeah. gone to mass and said, right uh, "Not, in, I'm not, I'm not in the proper state to do that yeah. today." And hey, man, I still go to confession. Right, right? like I I need God's mercy too. Yeah. If we keep this in mind, like when the church teaches, the church is indefectible. The church is holy. The church herself is holy. But her members, right. you and me, not so much. Right? And so while the church is is able to teach authoritatively and and as a as a perfect society, um that perfect society is full of imperfect persons. And I'm foremost among them. Right, but a re- a very real reason for my hope is that I see people who are imperfect. I just came before we started this recording from hearing two hours of confessions. We had one hour scheduled. I got into the confessional fifteen minutes before that started and didn't get out uh, until forty five minutes after the confession time was supposed to end. Now that's a reason to hope. That's a reason to hope because what it tells me is that people recognize that there is such a thing as sin and there is such a thing as God's mercy. And the fact that sin exists and God's mercy exists are not mutually exclusive, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes that feels like the pastoral approach that's being promoted, that we can't call anything sin because to do so is to deny people mercy. On the contrary, when we name things as sin, people come mm-hmm. seeking mercy for that sin. And I have two hours of confessions that can testify to that, except I can't talk about it because of the seal of confession. <laughs> but here's, that's good. I don't want, I don't want to know anyway. <laughs> no, you, no, you don't. But here's, here's the very truthful reality. Like, God in his goodness wants to pour out mercy. And people are responding to that desire that God has for his people. God desires to give mercy to his people. We know this to be true. And people are seeking that mercy out. So it's true that there are people who are seeking mercy. The people who are seeking mercy and are also willing to change their lives are my reason for hope. 
Because I can't come seeking mercy if I'm not willing to change, if I'm not willing to try. And I might know that it's, a, it's an uphill battle. I might know mm-hmm. that I have tremendous things to struggle against. Um, I can never remember this, uh, this blessed's name. I don't think he's been canonized yet. Um, I'm pretty sure he's beatified. He was a Chinese man who was an opium addict. Oh man, and I know. I know you, you know the story, about, right? Know we'll yes. we'll link to it in the show notes because we can look it up later. But you know, for years he didn't receive the Eucharist because he couldn't stop using the drug, and it pained him that he couldn't. But he was always seeking God's mercy. He was always trying, and he was just like lost in this place. Like all of us sometimes feel that way. Maybe it's not because mm-hmm. of addiction, but all of us at, at different times feel that like the the battle is too hard to fight. It's too high a mountain to climb. I can't get past this this struggle, this thing. But my sign for hope, my reason for hope is that there are people who know and recognize that God is merciful anyway. Even in that place where we're we're struggling. And maybe I haven't gotten to the like the the perfect renunciation of sin, but God still wants to be merciful to me. I just got to keep trying. I got, I got to keep at it. And man, as as a somebody sitting on the other side of the confessional, it's moving to me to know how many people desire that mercy. It's it's so powerful. So that's that's a reason for hope. another reason for hope. And this maybe we can close with because I think it's the most important reason for hope. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We have the promise of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the incarnate Son of God, the divine second person of the Blessed Trinity, right? That the truth will always out. The truth will always win. The truth will always triumph over sin and over death. And God promises to remain with his church. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's how Matthew's gospel ends. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Like, God is not going to abandon his church. God is not going to leave us alone. In spite of how I, as a priest, or other clerics like me, might succeed or fail, Despite how bishops or popes might struggle or fail, God will not leave his church. We have had bad popes in the history of the church. We have experienced bad bishops in the history of the church. Most of us haven't experienced that in our lifetime, but we've experienced it in the history of the church. And if we understand the history of the church to be in terms of centuries, not in terms of decades, and we, we, we measure our lives in terms of decades, but the church measures her life in terms of centuries. The yeah. fact of the matter is that that good popes have come and gone, bad popes have come and gone, good times for the church have come and gone, and bad times for the church have come and gone. Empires have risen and fallen, and the church is still here. The gospel is still being proclaimed. The sacraments are still being celebrated. Jesus is still present in the Eucharist, and we can receive his mercy in the sacrament of confession. At the end of the day, 
you can issue yeah, any. Are we worried about? Yeah, honestly, like you can issue any document you want. It might be discouraging. You can pass any rule that you want, and it might it might make me angry. It might disturb me. You can make all the kinds of administrative or legal or or governance decisions that you want, and I might be disturbed by them, annoyed by them, critical of them, whatever else might come up. I might experience resentment in my heart. I might give vent to that resentment sometimes in front of a microphone or in front of humans. <laughs> Whatever it is, you know what? All my sins, all my foibles, they're nothing compared to a single drop of the blood of Christ. And that remains true no matter who sits on the throne of Peter, no matter who sits in the chair of the pastor of St. Pius X in Fairfield, Connecticut. That remains true whether I am thriving in my own vocation, living holiness of life, or whether I'm struggling. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Savior of the world. It's by his blood that we have been saved. If there's not a reason for hope there, I don't know what what is. I think there is a reason for hope there. Yeah, good, good, <laughs> good, because I do too. I happen to agree with you on that. Yeah, I, fir I affirm your reason for hope. <laughs> so I think if, uh, what kind of advice, Matt, do you think we should give to people as they read fiducia supplicans or as they as they think about this as they see all the news that's out there right as they read the document um or just as they're trying to process this this stuff that's being said now about the church all around right i think i think again quite frankly the reason i wanted to end with hope is because i think that is the advice you give it's that you don't you don't fall to despair over the one document, yeah. Um, and you, and you rest assured that Jesus is right in the story, you know. And he and and he has allowed this, you know, for for whatever reason. I can't. I'm not even going to come close to pretending to knowing why. No, I got a lot of um, questions. A lot of things I'm going to ask him when I get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. It, here's, here's to hoping. Yeah, no, so um, like I've, I've got questions about this, but I also want to know like, okay, Lord, who was it who looked at the turkey and said, I'm going to eat that bird? <laughs> right, like who, I also think, who thought of that? I, I think if I were to give another piece of advice that's like a, a timely piece of advice, it would be that remember what this, the, the season of Advent is about, right? So we're going to put this episode out somewhat promptly. It's going to come out on Friday probably. Sweet. Um. And so Christmas won't have come yet. If you're listening beyond Christmas, you know, take this for what it is. Um, the entire purpose of Advent is kind of, or at least at least this year for me, it has really become ridding myself of earthly attachments so I can make room for Jesus, hmm. right? When he is born again, you know, and obviously there's some metaphor there, but, but, but when I like allowing him into my heart, that is what Christmas is this year. It's, and 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 when I pray on the the nativity, it's not that there's this unknown God beyond all things, but rather it is a God who is a name who knows me, hmm. right? And so you you make room for Him, um, and then you hope in Him, right? And and something right that you said you brought up. And you didn't use the word assurance, or maybe you did. I, I didn't think you did, but uh, 
I'm re- I'm reading the Gospel of Mark, Michael Pakulik's um, translation, yeah. and that is that is the way that he translates. Uh, truly, truly, he says you have it's. He says Jesus said you have my assurance, mm. and that is a really beautiful uh, and accurate and and I think um, encouraging way to understand all of these promises of of Christ. You have my assurance, yeah. right? Yeah. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Nothing better than that, it's right? Not, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, right? And so, and and that's why when he says, "Be not afraid," we're capable of it. Yeah. Be not afraid. You have my assurance. Well, who's who's got better assurance than God? <laughs> <laughs> Take it. The being who sustains literally everything else at every moment. Always. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think I think that's it. You know, it's that you know, and 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 also it's that this document with with all that is confusing and with um everything that's in here, you know what? At one point in the document they quote Saint Therese and and I'm gonna read the quote because it's Basically what you said, Father, right? It's, it is most fitting that, or I'll, I'll go from uh, uh, earlier. As St. Therese of the Child Jesus teaches us, this confidence is the sole path that leads us to the love that grants everything. With confidence, the wellspring of grace overflows into our lives. It is most fitting then that we should place heartfelt trust, not in ourselves, but in the infinite mercy of God who loves us unconditionally. The sin of the world is great, is great but not infinite. Whereas the merciful love of the Redeemer is indeed infinite. Mm. Saint Therese or Father Sam Kachuba, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's, it's, it, I mean, but, but we're very similar, I think. Yeah, similar in so <laughs> yeah. many ways. Oh man. Yeah. Well, listen, Matt. Right. Um, it's good. It's good to be able to talk about this with you. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I hope this is helpful for people because. I know it's it, it is it is confusing, um, and I also know there's a lot of stuff out there. So, just my, maybe last encouragement would be like read the document itself. Don't right. read the secular news outlets because I mean, they're going to distort necessity. it. Yeah, you have to read the document. Go to the source, um, and to. we're going to link to some good articles that can help you to understand and process this, um, so that you're not getting pulled into the the stuff that's frankly uh, either a distortion or an exaggeration of of what the truth is about this um right the church cares very much about ministering to and caring for people in these difficult situations um yes. in situations that this document describes as irregular or that are sinful the church still cares the church still wants yes. to accompany them um and so it's it's not a, simply a judgment on persons. It's a, it's a an acknowledgement of a reality that there are certain things right. that are are bad for human beings to do that separate us from yes. God. And the church yes. calls all of us. Doesn't matter who you are, the church calls all of us to conversion, and that conversion is won by Christ, and He's the one that we put our confidence in and our trust in. Yeah. Yeah. We don't usually pray at the end of episodes, but I think it would be appropriate if we did today. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I'll, I was thinking about this as the, like, what kind of blessing can, can we give that could be, that could be appropriate? Um, 
so in the document, actually, they they remind us of that great blessing that comes uh, in in the scriptures. Um, let me just find the the exact quote here. So in the book of Numbers, chapter six, verses twenty four through twenty six, the the blessing, the kind of the primordial blessing in a way. Um, is may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas, Matt. Hey, it's still Advent. <laughs> I know, but you know, I won't see you before Christmas. So. Yeah, Merry Christmas. All right. Peace, brother. Peace. Hey, everybody, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to further support The Tangent, please consider subscribing or following on your preferred platform, following us at the Tangent underscore Catholic on Instagram, or even donating at VeritasCatholic.com. See you next time. God bless.